Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and we are recording this episode on a Friday morning after a fantastic and frolling and a bit chaotic uh, game of football at Molyneux Stadium on Thursday night between Wolves and Manchester United. But for, fortunately United came out on top and won 4-3 in the end after a late goal from the brilliant Kobe Mainu. Samuel Lucas was at the game and we'll get in this episode. We're going to dissect the performance Get into it, discuss whether Minu is the best player in the world. Uh, look at the Rashford decision to start him because that was quite significant. Uh, look at Tenox's changes, etc. And then look ahead to West Ham because United are back in action on Sunday again in the Premier League. But first of all, Samuel, how are you? Because you must have got back to your house a little bit late last night. Uh, nearly nearly 2am, but feeling feeling very well this morning. It's, uh, it, it does make a big difference when, when United win, as, as we all know, covering them uh, from, from a... A journalistic perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm just longing for the day where they actually go three 0 up in a game. Because I think if they do that, then they might might win comfortably. Uh, last night for seventy odd minutes, it was going according to plan, and then chaos ensued. And those last what I suppose it was twenty seven minutes, given the um, the added time, probably pushing pushing half an hour. So it was. I I, I didn't expect the uh, the magnificent spread at Molyneux to be topped by by the actual game itself because we we know what drudgery it can be Wolves United at Molyneux but last night was one of the one of the games of the season in the end I suppose it's usually like a nil nil or a one nil or a one one it's usually pretty drab isn't it but last night was fantastic I mean what a game what a spectacle um we'll start off with the dominant performance then Samuel because the first half really was fantastic um it was probably the best first half performance of of the season I think it's fair to say United should have been out of sight by the time it was half time it could have been 3 or 4 nil, but multiple chances wasted toward the end of that first half and I suppose on a night like that that's the only criticism really United should have been more clinical and should have buried a few more chances but it was a really really promising display It felt more like the United of, of last season there was a lot going for it and coming away from the stadium it's there. There is a sense of you know the, the mood is far more upbeat now. Of, of course, it's going to be after a win like that. But they've they've won games uh, late on earlier in the season where you've you've come away from the ground. You thought, well, that that's probably papered over the cracks. I mean, Brent, Brentford was an extraordinary finale with two goals in added time, and and Fulham they got one late uh, right at the death there as well. But they they still weren't the inspiring wins that they they should have been. I thought last night that was that was a captivating performance from United for at least forty five minutes. Ten Hag thought an hour, even before they got the goal in the fifth minute, there there was a slickness to them. There was an incision, and really it was the way just Ten Hag conducted himself, even into the press conference afterwards when he said he had mixed feelings about the, the win because they they didn't win handsomely. I, I thought well this is this is more like the United of last season in that they would. They would win well. There was a lot for the fans to get invested in, um, a, a lot to, to, to revel in. Uh, the, the manager was still quite critical of elements of the performance in, in victory. We've, we've not heard that so much from Ten Hag this season, but he was last night at his post-match press conference. And they, they should have been out of sight. That that was the one issue. They they had, I mean, Fernandes and Casemiro had great chances, I think, at 2-0 in the first half. They, of course, had two disallowed goals. There was a one chance early on in the second half I think it was for Fernandez again where he, un- uncharacteristically for him he, he just wasn't particularly clinical and I thought he actually played well last night that the finishing was the only thing that let him down 
And I thought Casemiro played very well last night, apart from two two fouls that obviously had a big bearing on his performance and the decision to substitute him with the penalty decision. It, look, I thought when I first saw it that that wasn't going to get overturned just because there wasn't a replay that could prove there was next to no contact on on, on the Wolves player. I mean, he, he absolutely made a meal of it. Van Dijk on Nkunku the night before was much more of a penalty and this is why people get why VAR drives people mad it's 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 the inconsistency it, it wasn't of a penalty it. was it Samuel I know the games it's a cliche the game's gone a long time ago but that was just so soft he almost freeze on his ankle there was minimal minimal contact there I thought even the the reaction of the United players was telling and they, they know VAR exists and that yet Casemiro still reacted with the confidence that that shouldn't be a penalty knowing that it was going to be checked by some some robot at Stockley Park, but it's the way it works. Just as I said, it drives me up the wall. That the, the night before, you've got Paul Tierney refereeing at Anfield, and of course, because Liverpool fans can be quite a paranoid bunch, and they think Paul Tierney is uh, is is anti Liverpool. When he doesn't give a penalty, you almost wonder: is is the, the the guy who's on VAR is he thinking? You know what? They're three one up. They're they're pasting Chelsea here. Um, if I have to make him go over to the monitor and then he has to point to the spot, then he's going to cop more flat like he could do without it. It's it's the precedent set by that that clown Mike Dean uh, with with Anthony Taylor over the the, the hair pulling for for Harry Kane's equaliser at Chelsea last season. So that was that was a slice of luck that went Wolves' way. But in credit to United, it's it's game management in game management for, from Ten Hag where McTominay comes on. We know that he's got a goal in him. He gets that goal. But the game management after that, I'm sure we'll get into the equalising goal. It felt when that went in, if you're a United fan, it must have felt like a defeat or it felt like it was going to be a defeat rather than a draw because they'd thrown it away. Then we just see a... And the horrible truth of this is with that magnificent winning goal is that because of the chaos that ensued after Pedro Neto's equaliser... I didn't see it. I just saw a ball bouncing in the net and then I saw Kobe Mainu heading towards the away end and Diogo Dallo charging towards the away end. I thought, well, they've, they've won it. And it, that was that's the dilemma you have, especially when you're filing a piece. And as I said, for 70 minutes, it's great. United have been brilliant, just pure positivity, easy win. That's what we want. And then, of course, a spanner is thrown into the works and then the works just you know fall fall apart, and you, you don't know how to how to make a head or tail of it. But if if it and if it would have ended three three, it would have been of course a a negative a, ne- a negative angle because United had, had, had at that point it looked like they'd thrown it away. But the the goal just I mean I've I've watched it back a few times um, almost out of shame that I I had my head buried in my my bloody laptop. But it's just the audacity to shimmy past one nutmeg one go around the other and one one of the things that you can was probably overlooked at the time is that when he veers inside Mainu and the shot is there you've got Fernandez who's almost out of shot but he's probably the furthest player away and he's almost ordering him to to play it to someone else he's thinking you've done the hard work now give it to someone else to have a go at goal and then of course he goes for a goal himself and a lot of players in that situation uh, whether they're professional or amateur or five-a-side players, they probably would have just wellied it there. I know I'm I'm, a dread, I'm dreadful at shooting. I'd have just probably hit it badly and it would have gone straight at the goalkeeper. But he has the confidence and the poise and the just the, the elegance to make sure that he arches that ball well out of Jose Sarr's reach and it goes into not even the corner of the net. It went into the side of the net. That's how far away it was um, out, out, away from, from Sarr's palm. It, I've look, we've 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 rhapsodized about Kobe Mainu um, in in so many podcasts, and hopefully for United sake, we will continue to do so for for many more podcasts to come. Because as I said before, he he is the long term linchpin in that team. He's he's just brilliant to watch, and he was he was brilliant again last night. At half time, I was thinking, who is this team, and what have they done with Manchester United? And then twenty minutes later, I go, oh god, here we go. I mean, it was obviously not a penalty, but. I think almost a Wolves equaliser felt inevitable at that point when I was watching the game. I actually messaged Liam Corliss, formerly of this church, this parish, 
and said, look, I just think Wolves are going to score. They did eventually 3-3. Free, free. And I was the same as you, Samuel. Although I was working from home and obviously doing the live blog. I only looked up when Mane was about to hit the ball. So I didn't actually see his shimmy and beating a few few men. It's only this morning and last night when I've kind of watched the clip back and I thought, what a goal that is. It was it was really, really brilliant. And he is a, he's a fantastic player. You've said it yourself there. We've been on this podcast a lot of times now, praising Manu. Um, but we saw him in pre-season. He was fantastic. He was the breakout star. Kind of hoped he would break into the team this year. Obviously, an injury delayed that, unfortunately. He picked up an ankle injury. Um, but since coming back to fitness, he's, he's been really, really brilliant. And it, I almost question now with Mason Mount sideline with injury, where's he going to fit back into this team? I mean, that's been the question. Yeah, he doesn't for the last six months. But because of Manu's prominence and because of the way he's playing, I think that that question becomes even bigger now. I don't think we're getting carried away when we say that when United, come, when it comes to the summer and it's pretty clear that United will need a midfielder of some profile to to come into the squad, it's got to be someone who is going to complement Manu because the way it's going now, it's who starts, and it's not been just now, it's been the case for, for two months, it's who, who starts with Copy Manu. It's not if, Kobe Mainu starts and we all suspected that Casemiro would be the ideal foil for him and it's not a coincidence that Casemiro has come into the team and Mainu has gone from uh, a guard to a goal getter he scored two goals in two games with Casemiro alongside him and they complement each other really well and it was it was interesting what Ten Hag said to me last night when I asked him about when he first essentially when he first saw Kobe Mainu when he first you know caught his eye and Ten Hag said he felt he, he was too comfortable in the under-21s, that he wasn't dominating enough. And I thought it was really interesting insight because you look at Mainu's development and it's just become, it's, it's just gone so naturally. It's, it's the blueprint for any budding academy player at United if they want to graduate and, and get into the first team. But the, the when, when he came out with that little revelation that he was too comfortable in the under-21s, it was almost as if he looked at that level and thought, he's too good for this level already. We need to get him playing with, with men here and, and players who've, who've got more experience and are playing at a more intense level. And he, I think that's that's what a lot of us saw, not just Den yeah. when we watched him in the academy. You could tell a lot of a lot of it came effortlessly to him. Um, his range of passing, how composed he was. He did look a cut above and... What I've been surprised at, though, because you can watch a player and you can predict that he's going to transition to the first team and have success, how easy he's made it look. It's been just unbelievable. I think he deserves so much praise for that because it's not a guarantee stepping up from academy football to the Premier League. It's a different beast. Oh, it is. And you just go back to, I mean, it was quite reassuring when I, I, I looked up what, what was the first thing I ever wrote about Mainu watching him at a game. And I think it, and it was Kobe Mainu in midfield was exceptional so my, my, my judgment isn't too bad it's it's reassuring to know going back to that FA Youth Cup semi-final from uh, two years ago nearly uh, I think it was it was Wolves they beat but I was just struck by him I was going to say ironically against Wolves as well yes yeah oh, coincidentally yes indeed uh, I, I, I didn't even mention that in the piece so I, I could have enhanced my, my piece a little bit more this morning uh, but even then he stood out because he was a modern midfielder and I remember a friend who went to a, a, a reserves friendly that summer and he said how much, May, how different Mainu looked. He'd bolted up and already he, he'd only just turned 17 at that point. I think he'd have turned 17 in, in April 22. And he said, okay, he means business here. And of course he went, he, he was selected in the uh, match day squad against Newcastle at home last season. That was Ten Hag's 13th game in charge. He went on the training camp to Cadiz and there wasn't a lot to write home about from the games other than, in my opinion, Mainu. And I, di- I did a piece on him at the time saying that he was you know, he was nearing his next breakthrough at United. So I was particularly delighted when in the January, less than probably a, around a month later, he, he did make his debut against Charlton. And he would have probably been more involved, a little bit more involved last season had he not got injured in, in early April. And that was, that was him done for, for the season, unfortunately. He was looking really, really good in pre-season and it was such a shame that he was the he was the collateral damage in that uh, tackle by Casemiro on on Rodrigo in the in the friendly against Real Madrid in, in, in Houston back in July. And although we had to wait four months for him to come into the team, and of course you saw him at Salford, I think it was, and I remember tweeting you, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be at Salford tonight. He should be with the first team. You got a bit of stick for that. Oh, did I? But well, you, but you were right. It, yeah, I, I I mean I don't 
I don't even see any of this stick that comes my way because, um, you know, I, I don't mind saying it, but I'm 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 clearly going to be a better judge than people hiding behind pseudonyms and avatars on Twitter. But, uh, you know, I think we we know we put the hard yards in. We watch these players from a young age, and we do know what we're talking about. And I, I've never had a shred of doubt with Mainu that he's a player that could, if if he hadn't have got injured in July, then United would probably be higher up in the, the Premier League table and they'd be having a better season. He's only got 15 games under his belt still, um, which is still, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a very lowly number, but you only have to look back to that infamous substitution against uh, Nottingham Forest in, uh, in late December when he came off at half-time at 0-0 and then United lost 2-1 and both goals, there was a void in midfield for them. He started in all four games since, and Ten Hag has not taken him off in any of them, and that's the telling. Uh, that's the latest telling development in in May news. You, you think of the tests that he's passed as well, Samuel, flying colours. The games Goodison Park away, Galatasaray, even St James's Park, Anfield. You look at those three games; they were build. Yeah, exactly. Anfield as well. I mean, those four games were built as huge atmospheres. They were going to be intimidating. They were going to be challenging. And Manu was just himself again. He excelled. He looked comfortable uh, at ease on the ball, and that's just so impressive at home. Yeah, and even when he when he made an error against West Ham, it led to Mohamed Kuda's scoring. That performance will his performance that day will be more remembered for how accomplished he looked in the seventy seven minutes before that miscontrol. And you saw that ang- the anguish etched on his face um, as it dawned on him that he'd you know he'd, his error had led to West Ham effectively you know, boxing the game off and, and winning it. He he clearly cares. He's a local lad. He's He's almost the representative for the fans on the pitch, is, is the way I see it, given that he has come through the academy, he was born in Stockport, he's won the FA Youth Cup. United fans love nothing more than to see a local lad come into the team and make a name for himself, as, as Marcus Rashford did eight years ago, so so unforgettably against Michelin and then, then Arsenal a few days later. And Garnacho did it last season. And look, one of the biggest pros about Ten Hag is... It's his, it's his development of youngsters, De Litt and De Jong at Ajax and now Garnacho and Maynou were at United and that is, integ- that is integral criteria for a Manchester United manager and he's, doing, he's done a phenomenal job with, with both of those players so far and both of those players, they're, they're starters for United and nobody would entertain the prospect of dropping either of them. I've told everyone who would listen for a while now that Kobe Mini was going straight to the top. Uh, I was having a coffee there from a flatmate before starting this morning, Samuel, who's a, a diehard Manchester United fan. And I was saying, remember 80 months ago, two years ago, when I was at those academy games telling you how good this lad was? And he was like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And he's a massive fan now. Um, I think the next thing United fans need to do, though, Samuel, is create a chant for Kobe Mini. I, think I that's thought missing. that last night. No, no yeah. doubt that will come pretty soon. Yeah, no doubt that will come pretty soon. Um, there was a chant for Marcus Rashford. <laughs> Do you want to tell listeners who might have, mightn't have heard it what it was? I don't know if we can we can we swear on this. Do we do we beep it out? I don't know, but it, it was very witty. It was Rashford's on the piss, on the piss, Rashford's on the piss. Yeah, uh, which I, I I thought was yeah it was it was classic. It was a classic United uh, away end song, and the away end is not ideal at Wolves because it stretches across the whole of the of the Steve Ball stand. So a chant that starts at one end can you know start. Uh, up the other end, about two minutes later, it, it's it's difficult to really uh, generate an atmosphere when you're spread so far across one stand. But uh, that was the one that certainly uh, that the noise carried uh, very very easily. Uh, with that, there were a couple of. I mean, we were in the far uh, row of the press box, and so there was some very some very sound Wolves fans. In fact, going to Molyneux is great anyway. But the the company of the Wolves fans is always pretty good. I was speaking to one. Um, Almost on and off a, a few years ago, um, but the the two behind us last night were were amused by it. And I, I, what I also appreciated with the two Wolves fans um, as well was just how how insulted they were by by Anthony and how bad he was. And I'm thinking like this, you know, this guy's gonna this guy could do you a favour. And of course, what what happened was that he did them a massive favour by turning uh, turning attack into defence and allowing them to equalise at the end. We'll stick with Rashford for the time being then, Samuel. Uh, I wanted to get into him a bit because it was a huge decision to start him, a massive one. Maybe not surprising because of the way Ten Hag actually spoke about him at the press conference. He kind of discussed his blossoming connection with Rasmus Hoyland and then 
in his pre-match interview with MUTV, mentioned that as well. And lo and behold, uh, for Rashford's goal, Hoyland plays it off. Rashford tucks it in, and all is forgiven. All is forgotten, Samuel. You can go to Belfast, get was... drunk, come score a goal. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It it was just the ticket for for him and 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 for United. It it nipped it in the bud so quickly. And what was was particularly um, noticeable at kickoff was that when the teams came out, it, it occurred to us that given that Wolves preferred to attack the Sir Jack Haywood stand in the second half, the likelihood was that Rashford was going to be playing in front of the away end in, in, in the first half. So if if he'd started a bit ropely, they might have they might have got on his back. But when he came out for his warm up, he you know, he held his arms aloft, he said a little prayer, he sauntered towards a loose ball and embarked on a dribble, but there were hardly any fans in the stand, so it was impossible to make Make out whatever reception that he got from any of them. It was, yeah, it was. There was, it was no point writing home anything about it. When he came out for the game, he ran towards them, and and some offered, so offered applause. Um, this was just before kickoff. Rashford didn't clap them, um, which you know you can read into that what you will. But I'm just relaying what what I saw there. But the goal was was a terrific goal, and as soon as he hit it. You knew it was going in. It's it's probably the purest he's he's struck a football all season, and one of the criticisms that of that there's been of Rashford throughout his career is that he only seems to, he can only have one shooting technique. It's always on the laces. There's a lack of finesse about it. That wasn't the case last season, and it wasn't just scoring goals. It was the way he created goals. He'd go on the outside sometimes. He wouldn't always cut inside. He was he was a clever footballer last season. And there was a variety about his goals. He scored some really good headed goals. He would take up good positions. I remember against Palace at home, he started the game on the left. He moved inside in the second half. And that's where he scored the winning goal um, as, as, as from a, from a centre-forwards position. We've not not seen much of that at all this season. That's one of the reasons why before last night, he, he's only got four goals. But it, as I said, the, the pureness of the strike was was terrific. And you know, he, he could have cracked into a smile. I know he's smiling at the end of the game and, and, and I think it was at Casemiro's behest when he gave him a playful slap on the head that he did break into a smile. And look, there was a lot to smile about. It was a, it was a terrific goal. It's It was his highlight of the season. And, um, you know, history repeated itself because, of course, he, he going into the game at Wolves last season, he was the one who was talked about because he had been dropped uh, as a disciplinary matter slightly different circumstances last night in that he started the game and fair play to Ten Hag as I said earlier I thought last night was one of those games where he had the Midas touch again because a lot of United fans would not have had a lot of United fans a lot of United punters uh, wouldn't have had Rashford starting out the principal I don't I don't think any of us selected him in our panel team did we? No well I, I didn't and you know, I, I, you know I'm sure we all look a bit daft for putting Anthony in after the way he played when he came on last night but it's admirable of Ten Hag because he saw that game as look I've got my strongest players available for the first time in, in my 94th game in charge I'm going to maximise this against a team that are unbeaten at home since September are unbeaten in their last seven games I've got to play my strongest team. And look, it was completely vindicated because United said their best half of the season and, and Rashford scored a, a terrific goal. A big decision and it certainly paid off. Um, obviously, another academy graduate on the score sheet, Scott McTominay, who made a, a almost immediate impact from off the bench with that. It's a bit of a scruffy goal, but he won't mind. It's now his seventh in all, all competitions this season, so he's having a phenomenal year um, despite almost being close to leaving the club. And I'll give a mention to Mari Forsten as well, actually, for, for Kobe Manu's winning goal because he had the awareness to lay it off. Um, that could have went wrong and he could have been dispossessed or, or made the wrong pass, but he picked the right one and United claimed the three points. Uh, we'll leave it there for the part one, Samuel, and we'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, you kind of alluded to it there at the end of the first part, but Tenog's changes, or sorry, his team selection really paid off last night. As you said, it was his strongest team. Um, fair to say his strongest team, the strongest team that he's picked yet throughout his tenure, yeah. I think. Um, and it was a huge decision to start Rashford, but those players responded, they really delivered. And we talked on this podcast over the last few months about the injuries and how much they've affected the team. And I know we've kind of played that down to some extent. Um, but we wondered what the team would perform like when those players were back on the pitch and we got an answer last night. 
And I think that was why he had mixed feelings, as th- those were his words, about the win in that it would have been immense vindication for him had United gone out there and just taken Wolves to the cleaners as they should have done with, with his strongest ever 11. And yeah, he, I suppose his his proclamation on how they would be a different side with those players coming back was slightly undermined because they did commit errors that they have been committing all season. I mean, there were, there were shades of the, the Galatasaray three all uh, in, in the second half, the way they just folded with... With with Kilman's goal and then and then Neto's equaliser, um, getting done on the counter attack in the ninety fifth minute as well was was borderline unforgivable. But I think when we've when Ten Hag has gone on about the injuries, the reason why we've kind of given it short shrift is that every club it feels like in the Premier League this season they've had quite a lot of injuries to contend with at one point or another. City have been without Kevin De Bruyne for a long time. They've been without Erling Haaland for a long time. Tottenham were you know, had a, a pretty depleted front six at Old Trafford last month, but those clubs and those teams they've they have coped with the injury toll um, better than United have, and so that's the why the ex- result. I know it was only a draw, and it, it almost felt like a defeat when we were talking about it. But that was really jarring for me because Spurs still had the style of play, yeah, still went around exactly. the business exactly the, in the same manner, and they dominated the game. They should have probably left with the three points with a depleted side. Yeah, and I've not really looked at... There haven't been too many games this season where I've looked at United's team and I thought, yeah, they should be getting beaten today. Um, Liverpool away was an occasion going into it, <clears throat> excuse me, where a lot of people, myself included, were, pro- were wondering how, how many are Liverpool going to win by. And United, United ended up drawing that game. So although they have had a lot of injuries this season and it's, it's I think it's pushing... Given the latest one with with Juan Masaka, it's probably pushing like forty uh, separate cases of injury or illness, um, which is an, an extraordinary amount when we've just come into February. But they've they've not coped well enough with it, and they have had the coping mechanisms. There's a reason why you assemble a, a squad of, of between twenty five and thirty players, and almost all of them are internationals. You you need that quality and depth. And I, that's why I've, as I said, that's why I think a lot of us have given United short shrift um, and, and, and other teams, as you said, the, the prime example, a pertinent one, given that they were the last opponents at Old Trafford and Tottenham, is, um, is that they, were rec- they played in a recognisable way. You could see what they were trying to do. You watched Tottenham the other night as well, where um, Son Hun Min is, is still not in the starting lineup, and Oliver Skip is still starting for them as well, and Hoiberg is is playing a more prominent role than he was when Bissouma and Saar were available. They play, they play there. They are identifiable in the way they play. Uh, Costa Coglu's fingerprints all over that team already. Last night, that was I think Ten Hag had said it before. Um, I remember asking him about it in in, uh, in Istanbul after the Galatasaray draw, and there were elements, there were glimpses at that time where you thought, okay, I can recognise what he's trying to do with the team and what he wants the players to do and the way they're executing it. The problem that night was that it was undermined by the goalkeeper chucking a couple in. And let's face it, he he was culpable again last night. I'm sure we'll get onto him in a little bit, but um, one of the reasons why they didn't win handsomely last night was because they have a goalkeeper who lets saveable shots or attempts go in. And th- there were two more uh, yesterday evening from, from Andre Anana. So, as I said at the start of the podcast, I'm, I'm yearning for the day that United go 3-0 up in a game because at that point, I, I, I'd probably be confident that I'm not going to have to alter my, my, my match piece um, be- before full time. But they're, they're just the team that can't go without drama this season. And they've got a few more goals in the Premier League now because the goal difference column was, you know, it's, it's still not great. I think they're probably still in the minus numbers, aren't they? But the goals four column, there are four more added to it, and that was—I think—that was the first time they'd scored four in the league under Ten Hag last night as well. And they should have done that probably in, in the first half alone. And uh, yeah, it's given given how how good they were in that first half last night and how in control they were for sixty or seventy minutes. There's a lot to build on, and also as good as they were as a collective, there were some really really good individual performances. Certainly at two 0 I think it was going to be almost set eight or nine eight out of tens in the player ratings but the last I said the last half an hour it brought quite a few players marks down 
I think that's what was so encouraging as well about that first half performance. As you said, there was actually a structure. I mean, yeah. we've, we've looked at games this season and analysed them before. What are they trying to do? It seemed like there was an actual plan and it was working. I think the midfield was key to that. Um, Menu, Casemiro, Fernandez clearly complement each other very well. Casemiro were kind of dropping back when Wolves had possession and were pushing forward. That helped out the defence a lot. And Wolves were really struggling to create anything in that first half. They didn't really give Anana anything to do. That did change after half time. Um, we'll get into that equaliser then, Samuel, uh, with Anthony, because game management, it's always been a, a bit of a doubt of this team. It's always been a bit of a criticism. We have questioned uh, quite often the game management of this team and, and Ten Hag's decisions as well. But you can't really blame Ten Hag for this one. Anthony had the ball, he overplayed, he lost it. Wolves broke up the other side of the pitch. Even then, there were still two players that could have dealt with it, mind. Um, Varane, I think it was Dallow as well. I'll have to watch it back, but I think it was them too. I mean, obviously, Varane it was a great the in the end, but it really one. should have happened. Yeah, I mean, it should have been stopped, but it's so-so, and the ball shouldn't have broke forward, really. And Anthony, taken to the corner, retained possession. When it's so late in the game, you've got to be a bit more intelligent than that. I think the only good thing Anthony did, and it was in front of the United fans as well, so that, that would have helped him, was that I think he put a tackle in and won the ball back. Other than that, every time he got the ball, he was a liability. And I did think at the time when, when Rashford came off that I, I, Garnacho was quite weak last night. He, he kept on going, but his, his end product wasn't there. And I thought the, the winger to to take off would have been Garnacho. Of course, Rashford hadn't and had a game for nearly three weeks and also um, had a night on the tiles in Belfast last week as well. So I'm sure Garnacho was fresher, but I'd, I'd probably rather have an intoxicated Marcus Rashford on a football pitch than, than Anthony now. Uh, just, it, it was, it's borderline unforgivable what he did with the ball there. And Amari Forsen is 18 and has got, what, three, three cameo appearances to his name now in the United first team. He's, he's got, got more to, Premier he's League assists than Anthony this season. He's he's got up to speed in the Premier League quicker than Anthony has in in eighteen months already. Uh, I've I, I'm just like I'm fed up of really you know, talking about him in a way. In that when he scored and had an assist at the weekend, uh, it was almost like, well, who cares really? I mean, look, you've you've if anything, he's possibly found his level against a a League Two side, but nobody was coming away from that or filing a colour piece on this is this is Anthony's turning point in a Manchester United shirt and the fact that he was actually dropped last night having having scored his first goal of the season and claimed his first assist of the season as well and that he's Ten Hag's man having come in for 86.3 million from Ajax was also telling because that that shows you that Ten Hag clearly has has doubts about him he he does not see him as as a starter, as a starter anymore. Uh, well, was... finally, Samuel, it's taken long enough though because he, his kind of continued selection of him was baffling and indefensible at times. He's finally now, in the last few months, kind of dropped into the bench and perhaps dare I say, it's seen what we've all been watching. Yeah, well, he was he was dropped. Would it have been in November? I think. I mean, he, he got some stick against against Fulham when he came. The last road performance was actually pretty good away from home in the Champions League. That was... I think in terms of the. Uh... The, the, the mid-season player ratings of the season, I think he was bumped up from a one to a two just because he played well against Galatasaray and then he played well against... That's very generous of you. Yes, and then he played, he played well against against Chelsea the following week, but he came, he definitely came out of the team after the Fulham game for a, a good period. Then he was put back in the team against Galatasaray to everyone's surprise and, and did well. And then he was strangely dropped for Newcastle away, which of course was the infamous... Rashford and Marshall disaster that, that class. That felt unfair at the time. I think he should have started that game. Uh, he should have, on yeah. The previous yeah. Match. Then he came back into the team against Chelsea, did well. He has, he has since regressed. He's, he's failed to kick on and I don't think anybody is remotely surprised by that either. He He's just, there's very little, he's just not got much about him. And we're, we're watch, we've watched him for best part of 18 months now as I said and he's, he's, a, he's a write-off if, if you're I think if you whether you're Ten Hag or whether you're another Manchester United manager coming in later on in the year you've I mean they're, they're going to need two forwards in the summer anyway just because of the forwards of sorry the wingers that they need to get out of the club and also the lack of goals that there have been this this season and 
I think realistically there is not going to be a taker for Anthony. Um, they're they're going to be dependent, I think, on a Saudi Pro League side, uh, giving them money to take him off their hands, if indeed he'd be receptive to that. But you can't... Do you not think it's absolutely bonkers that here we are again on a podcast in February 2024 talking about the need perhaps to sign another right winger <laughs> when you've had Ahmad, Palestri, Sancho, Anthony all signed for over 200 million combined and potentially this summer we could go in and say perhaps someone like Michael Elise here for another 50 million but the spend on that area has been immense. It's just not worked out. Oh, well, it's, it goes back further than that. It's... It goes back to Wilfred Zaha in in, in twenty thirteen. Um, Mkhitaryan was was seen as, um, as as the solution for that that side, even though he saw himself as a playmaker. Uh, of of course, you know the, the one who they didn't pay any money for was was Mason Greenwood, who looked like he was going to have a long term future at United, and and that is not the case. And hopefully, that will also rem- remain no remain no long. Uh, Hopefully that is also still not the case under um, Ineos as well. But again, as you said, I mean, Elise and, and Eze, they're, they're the only bright sparks at Crystal Palace. They've, they're, they're, making, they're the only players that are making them watchable. But you, you could see that you just, you just hope if they do go down that line um, that they, they get the right character in because we've seen before, and, and I thought that with Anthony as well, I thought you, you could talk about can, character and yes, he's got a spiky side to him, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean that you've got the right character to, to hack it at Manchester United. And as I said, he was a liability last night. When you bring McTominay on, okay, there's not a lot of technical ability there, but he'll put himself about, he will muck in, he's he's good for a goal. There's There's merit to having him on the bench and there's merit to bring him on in certain circum- certain circumstances as well. When I saw that Anthony was coming on with him, I was a little bit worried for United at that point because I just thought, it's like that quote in The Sopranos uh, season two where, where Tony's telling Robert Patrick's character, uh, who's who's a gambling addict, and he says, this game's not for you. And I keep feeling that with Anthony, like this game's not for you. West Ham on Sunday, that game's not for you. Villa away next week. That game's not for you. Even Luton away, that is also not for you. A game for you might be Ajax against uh, Go Ahead Eagles. That that that's probably a, a game. That's probably one that's um, that that he would do well in. What are you going to do, Anthony? What are you going to do? That was my uh, Tony Soprano impression, Samuel. But I imagine you can do Very better good. than that. Um, from one Brazilian to another, we mentioned how good Casemiro was. Um, he's probably a bit off the pace against Newport, which wasn't a good omen, especially coming back from injury. Um, considering he was so fantastic last season and the first few months of this season he was very poor so we're hoping to see him back to his best now um, but that performance last night was the first step to that um, he looks like the Casemiro that we know from last season it was fantastic um, disrupting play winning the ball playing it forward distributing it and protecting the back four so it was really really encouraging to see Casemiro perform like that wasn't it? It was and Ten Hag said afterwards and his embargo bit I mean it, it, this podcast will go out after the, the embargo anyway, that uh, he does need games to find his rhythm and, and, and hit his stride. And he did need that last season as well. He was, it's easy to forget that he was eased in. I don't think he made his Premier League debut until almost six weeks into his United career. Cause of course he was signed on the night of Scott McTominay was picked game. over him a lot of times, yeah, wasn't he? And that's right. Scratching our heads. That's right. And it was, it was only after they conceded six at city that he, he came into the team and, he he did he did quite well in his first league start at Everton the next week. He, he he made a mistake in that game. He got robbed of the ball and Alex Iwobi uh, ended up scoring the goal. But then he ended the half robbing Iwobi of the ball and setting Cristiano Ronaldo away to score the winning goal. And I remember that night, most of the players went to Casemiro first rather than Ronaldo, which you can imagine what, what Ronaldo would have made of that. But that was a reflection of you know the, the, the high esteem he's held in and also how well he did uh, in that moment to to have that impact in half which had, had started quite badly for him but as as you said last night he had a he had a very bad start with with the yellow card in the third minute and it was it was it was a definite yellow as well i mean ten hag was protesting it with the fourth official i thought you're you're wasting your time here it was i don't know why he's got it in him casemiro but he he does have it in him to commit these needlessly crude tackles um that are completely avoidable and that 
that kind of tackle he made in the third minute, it's some it's one that you'd rather make in the in the seventieth minute if you're hanging on to a win and you want to just scupper a, a breakaway or, or halt an attack by by any means necessary. But he was serenaded on at least two occasions by by the United supporters in the first half. His reading of the game was good. As I said earlier, he's he clearly complements Mainu very very well. It's a good developing partnership they've got going on there. And when he came off, he had a few words with Ten Hag, and I wondered whether he was complaining about the penalty decision or complaining being substituted. But at that time, you knew that it was sensible to bring him off, given that he was he'd been on a yellow card for seventy odd minutes, and he had con- he had committed committed about three other fouls. I think none of them, I'd say, were worthy of a, a booking. But if he did he did commit another foul, it might have been a matter of accumulation. Then. He'd have he'd have possibly been been sent off, and he's been sent off three times in his United career. But when Mc, I mean, he was replaced by McTominay, and when McTominay scored, Casemiro was was quick to to hug Ten Hag. So, for all his faults this season, in terms of his performance level between August and and October, and of course he was substituted in his uh, before last night. His, his previous league start was against Brentford, and he was hooked at half time. He was dreadful in that half, but. His his attitude is is spot on. You're not going to have a problem with his attitude. You might have a problem with him being overexposed at times, or or not um, not his 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 fitness taking a while to to get up to speed. But look, he's last night. That was the Casemiro of of last season. I thought he loves the yellow card. He was booked against Newport as well. I just I thought that, but I was just double checking. Um, so two appearances. Yeah, bad bad foul against Newport as well. Cards. Yeah. Yeah, he loves a clumsy challenge, doesn't he? It's like mere five aside, ironically. Um, that in terms of what the the win actually meant, Samuel up to seventh in the league, excellent. <laughs> On thirty five points, eight points off Tottenham in fourth. And um, we've we've played down the chances of getting Champions League all season, but I mean, when you look at the table, it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all. If the amount is strong end to the to the season, I mean. Martinez and Casemiro are so key to this team. We've seen that since they've came back. It, it is possible. Obviously, it will depend on how Tottenham before, perform and Spurs are Spurs. But United have got a chance. Yeah, I don't think we've played it down all season. At the start of the season, we were talking like about what well, you know. Ten Hag has got everything he wants in the transfer well, I think window. I was playing it down United since got to kick the end on. of September. I would say that that would be fair, definitely, uh, given that. You know, given the way that month ended with a, a defeat to Crystal Palace, I think at that point they'd have lost, they'd have lost four games in the Premier League already. Uh, I think it would have been, and they've they've lost a, a fair few since. I mean, the, the the competitiveness in the league this season is probably the most intense, certainly in my lifetime. There there don't seem to be any real, unless you may be Manchester City playing teams at home. There are no real gimmies, I think, for. For most teams, I mean, Tottenham Brentford was a terrific game the other night, and Brentford are not having a good season. There's been a big, a big drop off there, but they were they were really really good in the first half against Spurs. They got under Tottenham's skin, and, and Postecoglou made some you know, proactive changes at half time. They worked, and, and Spurs were three one up within 15 minutes of, of the second half. There were so many engrossing games uh, and as, as I said one, one of the reasons why United haven't outright dominated many games this season is because the, the quality in the league is really good When, but I suppose the galling thing for United was that would be that if you were to look at Brighton for example who got tonked 4-0 by Luton the other night their, their league season it almost feels like it peaked against United in September and it's been a while since we heard had a you know a love let read, had a there was a love letter written to Brighton about how great they are because they've, they've not been able to loved keep Brighton those last season. I know, yeah, and look, I, I think was, Brighton. I was been... you, if I got you in the Secret Santa, I would have got you a Brighton shirt <laughs> at Christmas. There, there is an awful lot to admire about Brighton. That has not changed, but I do think Deserby's been far too erratic with with his selection strategy. I mean, the, the he's rotated goalkeepers. I don't think that's pro, I don't think that's in in, in Brighton's best interests and. He's, he's he's almost been too clever for his own good. And look, United are above Brighton comfortably. And this is the thing with United in terms of the, the, the standards, how they're held to account compared to other clubs. I said to you two years ago, West Ham had their best season in decades. United had their worst season in decades. And United still finished above West Ham in the Premier League table. And I would still expect United to That's finish above West Ham this season. That's why I made that famous West Ham this season. It was ahead of the next... Friend. Yeah, and I... Yeah. 
it was it was an easy 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 money that it really was it really was and um so yeah i've i've, I've probably digressed but as as you say uh, you you mentioned martinez and casemiro but luke shaw as well it makes a, a really big difference to to United's defence and, and also their attack, like his contribution before the assist for, for Hoyland's goal last night, he was he, he was on the charge and he's he's just a he's just a really good left back when he's when he's fit and firing and United need them need these players to be fit for the run in. And I've I've said already that this month they've got to aim for they've got to aim for twelve to fifteen points. I think if they end the month with between 12 to 15 points, then they're absolutely in with a shout of qualifying for the Champions League next season. Say they beat West Ham this weekend, and even if they get a draw maybe at Villa Park next week, I mean, Villa, it was, I think it was the first home defeat all season to, to Newcastle midweek. It was, it was, it was, there were a couple of results in the week where it was like the, they were like COVID results. They were just something out of nothing. And I think obviously Newcastle are, a very good side, but I don't think many would have been better on them being three 0 up so quickly at, at Aston Villa. But if if United have got say seven points after their first three games this month, having played two teams above them in the Premier League table, that sets them up quite well for Luton away and then Fulham at home, which are their remaining league matches in February. Could almost be a season-defining month in a way. Uh, it's a huge, huge. I month. think so. Yes, and not just because it's it's my birthday this month, Samuel, as well. That's why it's a huge month. Yeah. On the 18th, so you got anything planned for us? You got us a nice gift. It, well, it's my birthday as well a this month, shirt. Stephen. So we 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 could we could indeed uh, do a do an exchange. Is it there. your 50th this month? No, oh, <laughs> not going to dig the fire that. I'll, I'll get you a Sunderland shirt for that. <laughs> we'll leave it there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, we should probably briefly mention that it was at the January transfer deadline day yesterday uh, among the football. Um, should we? It was a very quiet window. I think I think we said at the start of the month, yeah, he's a sign. I think we said at the start of the month it was going to be uh, a quiet January. Um, the only departure really, uh, Isaac Hansen-Aaron to, to Word of Bremen. There was a few flexi loans to non-league clubs, but we'll not give them a mention um, but uh, I think it's fair to say probably a lot there, of support. There'll be one of our one of our uh, former uh, colleagues would be very unhappy uh, by that, given that Rochdale have have taken two United players on loan. Um, yeah, so she'll be having words with I you. Think I think it's a system. I mean, for, for for fans who don't know, United developed this last year, where academy players will spend their time between a club and obviously the academy itself, so they can still represent the under twenty ones and train around the first team while getting senior experience so it's it's quite a good initiative to be fair I think it worked out uh, last season Joe Hugel went to Altrinum uh, Max Oyedeli went out as well they've now secured loans at, at Burden and Forest Green so that just shows you that it prepares youngsters um, for later on in their careers um, but would you like to say anything about Hans and Aaron joining Word of Bremen Samuel? I presume <laughs> not. Well when that when that news was confirmed on the the, the, the the WhatsApp group that United informed journalists of news on. Um, I was I was amazed by the first person to reply asking what the fee was, and I, I, I won't name them, but I, I I said to Ty when this message dropped on the car on the way to Wolves, I said, there's no way he has heard of Isaac Hansen-Aaron. Then I messaged my learned colleague separately, and I said, you've never heard of him, have you? And he replied saying, that's the first time I've ever heard of him. <laughs> so it, it was, it, I mean, I, th- I think it, I, I think he ended up still writing a, a story on it just because there was absolutely nothing else to write about regarding United yesterday. And when we were in the press lounge at Wolves, they had, uh, they had Sky Sports News on the telly. Uh, fortunately, the, the sound was muted. No offence to any of the presenters or reporters on there. But when we saw... Uh, Melissa Reddy, of course, uh, you know, is, is at Carrington fairly often playing darts with Jamie O'Hara um, in, in the, the, the re- reception. I think we knew that this was this was probably the nadir of deadline day coverage. I mean, of course, there was there was the um, infamous one outside uh, outside Everton's training ground in 2014, which uh, I'm, I'm sure if anyone just well, exactly. Googles you can't it, compare that to flying objects behind reporters, can you? The, the good old days. 
I don't think it was a flying uh, object, though, was it? It was. Um, <laughs> it was a. Uh, I was trying to be clever of my, my use of words. It was. It was an instrument that was. Um, you know, poked on, <laughs> poked into a, a, a reporter's ear. But yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. But I, I look. I, I'm. I was delighted that it was as dead as it was. I think transfers, by and large, are, are pretty tedious and. Um, this this just clubs are still getting to grips with FFP, aren't they? Yeah, the profitability um, and the sustainability it, 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 rules have brought the spending right down. I think Simon Peach said yesterday, like the the biggest fee that was agreed for whatever reason, Juventus have signed Carlos Alcaraz from Southampton uh, on yeah, loan, and there's an option to buy him for forty odd million pounds. I mean, I, I know he did well at Wimbledon last year, but I think for his value to go to go up that much is uh, is a bit much. Miss, have you missed the reference there? I, I completely missed that there. I was yeah. Deirdre, Car- Carlos Alcaraz won. Wim- he, he has the same name as the guy who won. This is what I sell the statesman have to put Wimbledon. up with. We have to, you know, I, I, I think I might just gift you a picture of me with the uh, the League Cup trophy as your birthday present. The way it's going. <laughs> just get some tickets to Wimbledon next year because I know you went in the summer, didn't you? Uh, which uh, yeah, who did you yeah, see play when you went? Uh, I saw. Uh, I'm not a big fan of him, but I saw Djokovic on on the first day. But yes, it's yeah. I mean Wimbledon. I I used to live in Wimbledon as well, so it's always it's always wonderful to to go back there. But moving back onto the the transfer related stuff at United, I, I think we're all quite delighted that um, the, the transfer window was as as barren as it was. I messaged an agent yesterday saying, "Is this the deadest deadline day you've known it?" And he just replied, "Deadline." With the dead um, in, in block capitals, that's that's oh, how see, much that was of a non-event it was. To use Simon Jordan's famous quote when he said it was deader than a dead thing from Deadland uh, on Talk Sport once. He was talking about a takeover, which was a fantastic quote. <laughs> anyway, Samuel West Ham on Sunday uh, visiting Old Trafford. Obviously, United lost two nil. Uh, in London before Christmas. That was a very disappointing performance. So they've got a bit of a point to prove here. Um, I think West Ham, the, the style causes United some some trouble. I think they can kind of absorb pressure and they're really efficient on their counter-attack. And Bruno Fernandes actually discussed that yesterday uh, after the win. So again, not a really uh, straightforward game. I mean, there never is in the Premier League, which is a, a cliche. Um, but West Ham are six uh, and one point above United. So it will be tough. It's a really big game, as you said, just because West Ham are above United. And if United win, they go above West Ham and that that's got to be the aim this month that they climb up the table and they they end the month in a much higher position than they started it. Had had Chelsea won this week and and Wolves won last night, United would have actually fallen into the bottom half of the table. Which I mean, when was the last time that happened in 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 February? It's, maybe maybe not before my lifetime. I'm I'm, I'm that old, but it, it probably would have been late eighties, uh, some of the early years of of Ferguson. Uh, but but West Ham obviously did United a favour last night in that they they dropped points at home to to Bournemouth. They're a very good team. In Kudos is back, of course. They've got Calvin Phillips in in from uh, from Manchester City, so I imagine he'll start. I think when you look at West Ham's defence, I always and, and Rich and I said this before the game at, at the London Stadium just before Christmas that it's it's a really gettable defence. It's not particularly impressive. There are a lot of chinks in their armour there. But they have assembled a really good front six, and they've got it's it's not just six players they're dependent on either. Ward-Prowse, Sujek, and Phillips. That's three in midfield. Edson Alvarez is another midfielder who's come in. Uh, it feels like that they've done a better job, or they've got a, a better hit rate of signing players from Ajax than than United have, given that Alvarez has has, has been decent. Kudus has been a, a, a terrific signing, and that was a very easy angle to go at. In the in the reverse fixture, given how well he did and how badly Anthony was doing at United and is still doing, and Jared Bowen's come up with goals this season with with his kind of like little reinvention as a as a false nine. That's that's worked out really well. It's it's innovative thinking from David Moyes, and he he's just come off the back of his his best year in in management, having won a trophy with West Ham, winning the, their Europa League group. I think they ended the calendar year winning two 0 at Arsenal as well. They're having a good season. It has been undermined by going out of the FA Cup as early as they have done. But they've, as I said, they're already in the last 16 of the Europa League. And I think they'll be staking a lot on that. They've got good pedigree with it as well, having been the Conference League final last year, the season before that, 
they got to the semi-finals of the Europa League. So they have got the know-how and the experience to go deep into that competition. And I suspect that will be what, what defines what defines their season because, let's face it, I, they're not going to finish in the top four. I think they'll do exceptionally well to do that, but they'll, they'll probably fall away at some point. And I'd still be very confident of United finishing above them this season. But it, it, is, a, it is a big game. United, I, I would imagine Ten Hag will go with what he regards and most people would regard as his strongest team. But um, The team picks but, itself, doesn't it? I wasn't even going to bother asking about that. It does. I think it we're going to pick the same starting next night for the for Well, the I, I haven't, though. I've, as to, to quote, on, well, to quote Roy Keane, I, I'm, to quote Roy Keane, I'm sick to death of this goalkeeper. Um, he, you, know, <laughs> what he, you, he, you, you did mention him in the first part and we haven't actually discussed him. So feel free, Samuel. I mean, he was very unconvincing against Wolves. He came up for that ball and it was almost reminiscent of the reverse fixture at Old Trafford in August when we were both there. He clattered him, didn't he, again? Um, it could have been a penalty. Yeah, I think the one last night, it, it wasn't a full-on clattering <laughs> that, uh, that, that the one in August was. I, 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 I agreed with the decision not to give a penalty last night, but he was let off the hook by a brilliant piece of intervention by Martinez. And then he's unconvincing for the second goal. And with the third goal, it's, here's my near post. Have, have a go there just hit it there and I'm going to stand like a statue I just I'm losing I'm losing the, I'm just losing patience with him um, I, I, I just put Bayinda in goal and I know Bayinda is not going to go in goal but Anana of course you know he goes on embarks on the celebratory sprint to join in at the gate at the end with with Manu's goal and of course you know there's that, there's nothing wrong with that there's he's done that before this season and he's invested in United he He's delighted when they win, of course he is, but I think he's probably so delighted they've won some of these games and it reminds me of Brentford, um, his celebration last night. And of course what happened in the Brentford game was that he, he let a savable shot in that game and he's just conceding far too many goals where you look at it and think the goalkeeper's got to, the goalkeeper can save that. It's not unsavable and... Yeah, it it, it doesn't. Look, it, it feels like I've got an agenda against ex Ajax players on this on on today's edition. Given that Anthony's taken a um, it's, it's been whipped already, and and now it's Anana's turn. But you can't. You've got to exert a bit more pressure on him. And look, not, neither of none of the goals that he conceded last night were an outright clanger, not at all. But when when. When that third goal went in, one, I was taken aback by how easily Varane was done. And I'm sure there was an element of fatigue that set in for him, given that he, he, he's a pretty brittle player and he played for pushing 100 minutes last night. But if you're that side, you just think, I've got to cover my near post because this is where he's nearest to. And also, just just use your initiative. When a player's going to cut inside, there's a chance that they will just have a shot and it could go towards the near post rather than the far post. So... It's, he, suffice to say he's not have, having a good season anyone mentioned at all was he actually started last season on the bench for Inter Milan first eight games he was on the bench oh because of Han, broken Han, the team and uh, was, well. it, he was, was it Handanovic yeah, I mean, was still there he was obviously there. excellent he was obviously excellent in the Champions League um, in the latter part of the campaign and he conceded the fewest goals in that competition in the end but um, he wasn't number one for the whole season obviously he, he was by the end of it um, he's just had a very inconvincing first eight months hasn't he unfortunately and um, there's been far too many mistakes and he's another player who needs a, a strong end to the season otherwise we'll go into next year and there will be question marks um so being there for you samuel he was pretty inco- uh, I, he was unconvincing I, I, as well against newport wasn't he I, he was he was inoffensive he just was, all right it was neither 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 really good neither really bad i mean he couldn't he couldn't the goals weren't he wasn't to blame for the goals at newport there, there was some there's some kinks to iron out in his game. He's clearly not going to be a a number one at United. I mean, he's got he has literally got the number one on the back of his shirt, but nobody's pretending that he's going to be a, a long term first choice. You don't trust a goalkeeper who wears leggings, and he he wore leggings. At I, yeah, I did. I did mention that's, that's that, a red flag. and it, it it was not it was not that cold at Newport either. We um uh I, I didn't even have my 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 uh, typing gloves on. It was it was that mild. So. Yeah, he'd have he he didn't need that, but uh, they've look, they've signed these two goalkeepers in in one summer, so I don't think uh, this this summer is going to be um, a transfer window where uh, they need to be prioritising a goalkeeper necessarily. I think they've got to try and make the most of what they've got and and knock both of them into shape. 
If Tom Heaton a, a lifetime contract, that's the answer. I, I wouldn't be against him. I wouldn't be he... against Heaton being in goal. I thought he did pretty well he, in pre-season. He performed really well in pre-season. And he, yeah, he's, he's competent with the ball at his feet as well, actually. He looked really he's, sharp. He's never let United um, just down. A quick... <laughs> Across point, his, across his three he's games. hardly ever played. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, a quick mention uh, to check out Samuel's newsletter. You can sign up for that on our site. Uh, we'll also have details and a bit of information on how to go about that in the YouTube video below the site. Um, Samuel, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. And thanks to listeners as usual. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday afternoon to review United's game against West Ham. Take care.